Welcome to July and episode five of the Boise Dev First members podcast. This week with Margaret Carmel. She's the city of Boise reporter for the Idaho Press. We had an interesting conversation about the library, the stadium, the upcoming fall elections, and a bit about her path to her current job. It's a really interesting reporter roundtable, and you're hearing it on the Boise Dev First members podcast. You are listening to the Boise Dev Podcast. Development, growth, and exclusive interviews from Idaho's number one business news site, boisedev.com. Margaret Carmel, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So you've been with the Idaho Press as the City of Boise reporter for just about a year. Is that right? Mm-hmm. I had my uh, year anniversary at the end of May. Wow. So you are, you're in full swing at this point. You you kind of know the mechanics and everything that's going on. And um, you have, I think, really developed a reputation quickly. And um, people really respect your work. And I respect your work. And you're fun to compete with because you beat me a lot. Um, and, and then I have to chase behind you, but it's it's fun. Um, so Margaret and I both uh, are at city council just about every week. Uh, she stays longer than I do. I usually go home. Margaret stays till the bitter end. I think that's her pinned tweet on Twitter about always being there. Always. And we had quite a day on Tuesday. It started at noon. Um, this is Tuesday of uh, June. What was that? June 24th? Mm-hmm. Just if people are listening to this a little later in the month. Um started with the city's budget workshop and then uh, the main event was this long hearing on the library and stadium so um, quite a bit of work there but I wanted to talk about your background and this is not your first journalism job this is your is just your third stop or your second stop? this is my second stop okay and you started out in where so I started out in Lynchburg Virginia which is a city of about 75,000 people in in uh, central Virginia near the Appalachian Mountains and there I was uh, I covered three different things in my two-year tenure there so I started I was hired on as a new college graduate um, to cover business and so I covered business and economic development um, for the city and four counties uh, for a full year and that job included you know restaurant openings and closings but I also did a lot of reporting on rural economic development and kind of the struggles that that area of the country is facing with trying to recruit um, high-paying jobs Um, then after that I transitioned into covering local government where I covered uh, two counties and a few towns um, in outside of Lynchburg and then um, six months later I ended up becoming the Lynchburg City Hall reporter where I I did a lot of uh, coverage on um, poverty issues homelessness and um, you know just city politics so all of that kind of teed me up really well for what I do now at the Idaho Press which is I cover Boise uh, politics city politics but I also do you know some 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 business development stuff not nearly as much as Don um, but I um, have done some of that especially covering the public part public private partnership over at the with the stadium deal and you had a great story in June about micron technology and kind of some layoffs there sort of slow rolling layoffs yeah so the the private sector is really hard to report on as um, as you know because it's they're not under the same kind of um, public records laws 
or anything like that. I wish I could submit a public records request to Micron. It would make life a lot easier. Oh, that would just be the dream. Um, But so what happened with that story is I just started hearing some rumors, isolated rumors about there being cuts over at Micron, but I couldn't find any sort of government documentation about it. So I ended up um, seeking out a bunch of uh, past and prior employees who spoke to me anonymously about what's going on at the company. And it seems to me they they had a round of layoffs um, where they closed one of their production, kind of one of their last remaining production areas over here in Boise. And then also they instituted a performance review plan where employees were kind of cold over time. Um, Managers were told they had to, you know, give low rankings on a bell curve to 10, you know, with the intention of eliminating 10% of their department. That's one number that came from a lawsuit that was recently filed um, in Ada, Ada County against the company. So, um, in my reporting, Micron did acknowledge, they did confirm my reporting, but they did not provide any details. So we still don't know just how many jobs have been lost at Micron in the last six months. And this is pretty pretty big because as you've reported, Micron is really a, a foundation of how Boise's economy works. Those high paying jobs you know, are gonna trickle down into the economy and, and power the rest of them. One number I heard is that um, for every job lost, at Micron that that could impact three other jobs right. here in the Valley. It's interesting. You know, you've had uh, St. Luke's go through a pretty significant economic uh, reorganization uh, and there was some jobs lost there, but I don't think we ever really got to the number of Micron mm-hmm. doing something similar. I'm hearing some rumblings about HP and changes out there. And so it, they are, they're found foundational pieces and it was great reporting. Um, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes if people haven't, uh, haven't had a chance to read that. I wanted to just, uh, we're, I usually go really linearly with the conversation, but we're not going to do that here because we're already out of order. But um, uh, you you have a background in, in television, right? Your degree is is yes, TV degree, it right? Is. And so I, we've talked about this before. But what made you say, "Oh, TV"? I'm going to do print. Well, <laughs> you didn't say it like that. But. Well, it's it's really it's kind of a complicated path. I'll try to keep it as as, uh, short as I can. So when I was a high schooler, I wanted to make movies. Oh, wow. And I I was really into filmmaking, and so I spent most of my teenage free time kind of teaching myself video editing and, and writing some really bad movies that I hope no one ever sees. <laughs> and people that know me from that time know exactly what I what, what I'm talking about. Um, and I uh, wanted to pursue going to film school, and it just you know it's art school. It, it wasn't um, economically feasible where I got in, but I ended up getting a scholarship to go. Uh, to my state school that had um, a journalism program. And I thought, well, broadcast journalism, it's the same kind of skill set as filmmaking, so I'll do that. And then the longer I was in the journalism program, I became increasingly less interested in video production and more interested in the journalism and the reporting. My last semester in school, I covered... um, Virginia state government at the General Assembly through one of my classes and I, I did and I really enjoyed that work and through that's that's how I ended up getting the job that I got which was was at a newspaper because I applied to jobs in, in broadcasting but the the I just the call I got calls back from in print I didn't get calls back in broadcast and now I've been a newspaper girl for three years and can you tell the story about selling newspapers when you were a kid in a short fashion oh, this, I thought this was great you were telling, I'm sorry you were telling somebody at city council the other day 
So uh, I don't mean to go on too long. Um, So when I was 14, my 13, 14, my first job was delivering the Kodiak Daily Mirror, which is the five-day-a-week afternoon paper in Kodiak, Alaska. And um, I I did that job... um, every day and 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 part of that job was you you had to find your own customers so i was always selling the paper and in order to sell it i had to read it and you know because i thought okay well if i know what's in there i can get people to read it and looking back i think that interest of coming home every day and and reading through the paper and seeing really what they were doing you know on a small local scale you know really started my interest in in news and in journalism so we, I'll tell one last story and we'll get into some of the news, but uh, the first time I met Margaret, she, uh, at city council, she walks up to me and, and introduces herself and I said, hi, I'm Dawn. And, and she looks at me and goes, oh, you know, Mr. Gilcrest. And I looked at her like, who the heck is Mr. Gilcrest? <laughs> and, um, you know, this is a person who I knew Margaret had just moved here. I'm like, how do we know anybody in common? It turns out that you went to school with Jim Gilcrest's daughter, Kelsey, mm-hmm. Jim Gilchrist is the old news director at Channel 7 as one of my favorite bosses. So, And when I say went to school with, I mean like high, school. high school. Yeah. Like we sat next to each other in, in English class. In Virginia. So it's just a small, small world and you find connections mm-hmm. in the strangest ways. The Boise Dev Podcast is brought to you by Anchor. Anchor is a free platform for podcasts like this one. It allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. You can even add in songs from Spotify to help spice up those episodes. Anchor will make sure that your podcast is distributed pretty much everywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, and many more. Plus, you can make money from your podcast with an ad like this. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Let's talk about... Some of the some of the news, and you and I actually just appeared on Idaho Matters today on Boise State Radio, and, and actually had some of these conversations. So we'll see if we can uh, recreate that without George Prentice and Mike Sharp. Um, the the Boise Library project complicated. Yes. And I think they had hoped to be up and maybe turn in some dirt by now, and they're not. And um, it's going to be a bit. Obviously, we won't express opinions here, but maybe just some analysis of when do you think that they'll be able to get moving on this? Well, at the at the very least, it's going to they're going to have to wait until the November election when that vote comes in. I think that um, this is something that the city didn't really anticipate happening, um, and then when those ballot initiatives qualified back, you know, in May, everyone was kind of thinking, well, okay, now we're going to have to have a vote on this project and that's going to limit it. One number that was shared at city council was for every month they delay this project, construction costs are going to go up nearly a quarter million dollars. Yeah, that that blew me away. It's a big number. And the project is already um, kind of in a strange place because Moshe Softy's design, the architect's design, came in at roughly $104 million, even though the city had set a hard deadline, a hard um, price 
for their budget of $85 million. So the city's already working kind of behind the scenes to crunch that $104 million design into an $85 million uh, budget. And with this added delay, we, we could see some cost overruns. I'm sure we will. Helen, you and I have kind of ping-ponged reporting on this, um, talking about uh, the Arts and History Center being pulled back and held, the theater being pulled back and held, maybe phased and done later. Um the uh, value engineering process where they're kind of like, well, instead of this fancy floor, we'll do this more simple floor and we'll cut this off. And uh, I, I actually am interested to know where that stands and where that's kind of grinding along towards. And I'm sure there'll be more reporting on that. Um, I think the thing that was really interesting recently was the idea of taking out the lease finance piece. Mm-hmm. And I wrote in my story, um, Jade Riley, who's the chief operating officer for the city of Boise, uh, made a presentation to council and made an illusion about the possibility of litigation on that lease financing. Um, they didn't mention House Bill 217. Um, and I don't know if you've got any reporting towards that or not, but it seemed like it maybe it was more about the uh, urban renewal election piece and less about the um, lawsuit, but do do you have any sense there of kind of what that was? That's, this is very interesting to me. Um, And this is purely just like my own analysis on the situation um, because there really hasn't been a whole lot of details. So initially earlier this year, whenever the state legislature passed House Bill 217, which essentially made it incredibly difficult to do urban renewal, um, to do a library project with urban renewal dollars without a vote of the public. Right. And Boise, City of Boise was very opposed to this legislation. I remember spokesman Mike Journey referring to it as a direct partisan attack yeah. on the city's projects. Um, and they said, we're not going, you know, we're going to find a way around this. Essentially, I remember Mayor Beter saying, you know, we're looking at other options. Um, and then concurrently, we had the ballot initiative issue come out where we've got, you know, p- folks gathering signatures. And I think I'm I don't know, this is just my guess, but it doesn't seem that maybe the city was expecting the ballot initiatives to pass. Maybe I had a an elected official tell me, and I'm sure you had similar chatter first. Well, they won't get enough signatures. Right. And then once they got the signatures, oh well, they're not. It's going to be invalid, and they didn't get. They won't get enough registered people, and those things turned out to be untrue. They cleared the threshold by a relatively healthy margin. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's interesting is, for that initiative, they had to have, I believe, a quarter of the number of people who voted in the last municipal election. Is that right? Yes. And that's a pretty low bar because not a lot of people vote in the municipal elections in Boise. I'm not sure that's going to be the case this fall. I think we might have some pretty large turnout numbers, at least for a municipal election, when last time we had, I think, 28,000 roughly people vote in Boise, and there's significantly more than that. Um, So let's talk about this piece of what's going to be on the ballot this fall, right? What is going to be on the ballot? And 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 that is still a little, um, you know, up in the air. So one of the so we're going to have at the very least the question that was passed in the ballot initiative, um, you know, which will be a vote for a vote. So the question will say, do you want an ordinance that makes a vote on the library library project or the sports stadium project if it comes to fruition, which is a totally different topic. And so everyone is going to have that question. 
And there are some legal questions about if even instituting that type of ordinance or that type of restrictive vote is even legal in Idaho. So we have that. That is going to be on the ballot. Then the next kind of dark horse that has emerged in the last couple days was a, a suggestion from City Council President Pro Tem Elaine Clegg that says, okay, we're going to create a special city election and a process for public hearings to be to be held on these massive capital projects over 25 million. And if anyone in the community is quote unquote unsatisfied with that public hearing, they can request a um, they can request a an election. And the mechanics on exactly how that would work and the threshold there are still being worked out. Well, and I think that's going to be kind of the interesting thing, right? We don't really know <laughs> how it's going to work. There was some draft language, but Elaine Clegg, um, I talked to her after the meeting. I know you did too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds like that's going to go through some further revision before they can do this. It's interesting. They've got a bunch of city council meetings that they're taking off this summer, and this would have to have three readings. So the timing even on that is going to be interesting to me and to see how they actually make this happen. Um, But we could have two library votes and a stadium vote on the ballot and the language and like it could be like well you have to vote yes on this and vote no on that and it could be a very interesting thing i think it's going to come down to i think there's going to be a lot of marketing that goes on from different political action committees and things trying to help voters navigate the maze of these multiple votes um I did a story a few months ago about we have two um, political action committees actually filed in, you know, uh, in with the city of Boise for this coming election. One of them was Boise Working Together, the group that got the signatures. And then the other one is a I think it's called Protect Our Libraries, which was specifically a pro-library campaign that was trying to dissuade voters from um, signing the petitions. So I'm curious to see if we're going to see those groups kind of get activated and and people donating money, not just to candidates, but to groups that are trying to say, okay, if you want the library, vote yes here, vote no here, no on this, and and all of that. And Boise Working Together has said repeatedly they're not against the library or libraries in general. Correct. They've been pretty strong on that. I, I think that they have tried to say we are concerned about transparency um, and we're concerned about the process. Mm-hmm. And I think be- different people have different opinions on, you know, is that true? What What is that? I, I can't really judge people's core motivations, but I think it's been interesting because you've had some folks that are frustrated and the, driving through the East End, you see a um, stadium library, let's vote sign, and then the next yard you see a we support the new library project. And so you've kind of got this tension, I think, in town over what people want and what people are trying to do. And one thing that we heard in the very long hours, actually hours of testimony <laughs> at Boise City Council on Tuesday was, I we heard people on both sides who supported the library and didn't support the library just asking for a vote. The general ten, you know, the general trend through all the all of the testimony was Let's vote. I think that's kind of where it goes. So if it goes to a vote and the public overwhelmingly says, yes, we want a library, then we know, mm-hmm. right? If it goes to a vote and the public says, no, we also know. It was interesting. I, oh, I meant to bring it in here, but um, 
there was kind of a, a moment at the end where uh, they were talking about the past costs of this library and it had been higher numbers and um, it's still a big number and I think for a lot of people maybe that's where this hangs like should we really be spending 85 million dollars for the core library and then additional dollars for these this arts and history and this theater that seems to be where the concern kind of lies like is this what we should be doing is this how we should be spending the money and we've heard that from people running for city council of saying you know okay the library is important but affordable housing is a critical need public transit is a critical need and i think that the conversation about you know what are our priorities is is going to be interesting holly or city council member holly woodings um had a pretty long comment period at the end of the hearing on tuesday night where she staunchly defended the city's uh, process for setting up the library um, and the, the needs. And I think her quote was, which I put in my story, was something like, we're not building a library, you know, and abandoning other core services. We're building a library because it is a core service. Yeah. And so I, I know that there are people in the city who strongly believe, um, and I think Mayor Beter is, is one of them, that this library should be, you know, just as important as you know, some of, as, you know, fire and police and, and also some of these other um, affordable housing projects. But there's other people that, that really don't think so, that they they feel like the city is prioritizing a, a building, a physical structure over, um, you know, some of the, some growing needs in our city. Well, and, and I think one thing too is there's been a lot of focus on the on the $11 million paid to the architects. Right. Um, and people say it was to Moshi Safety's firm, it was actually partially to Safdie's firm and partially to um, CSHQA, who's here in the Valley. But regardless, it was $11 million for architectural services. Mm-hmm. And what I think gets kind of missed in that is the money's spent. The money is allocated, I should say, not necessarily all spent out, but there's a contract that's in place. That money's not coming back. <laughs> so even if the library were to be voted down, let's say, those dollars are they're already out the door. At least that's my understanding. Well, I think they've only actually spent uh, close to three million. Is that that's right? the that is the amount that has actually left the city. You know, that's the amount that the check has been cashed. But I think the rest of it is it's getting paid out over time as the work gets completed because they're still doing schematic design. Yeah, they're still kind of working out some of these. Might, might be an interesting question. One of us should look into is what happens if it stops because would there be a breach? And there was some reference to breach of contract early on. I think in the afternoon session. Right, I remember that. But I don't. I, so maybe something to to look at. It, it, it was also interesting. I've got my transcript pulled up here that I typed out and. Um, Mayor Beter had put out a statement that said he thought that the um, initiatives should be adopted into city code. Um, and, and I remember being kind of surprised at that because that was in opposition to what he had said before. Right. And then he kind of like turned the corner a bit in the meeting and said, um, he said, I, and this is, these are my notes, so they might be rough. He said, I issued a statement stating that I was hopeful we could pass the initiative and then either along with it or shortly thereafter pass amendments that would address the legal problems with the initiative. Um, but they found through the process, and I actually had another, uh, uh, Laura McLean told me, yeah, these could be modified. I think they kind of found that that wasn't really true. If they passed it and changed it, then Phil McGrain's feeling was, well, then this is going to go on the ballot in the fall. Um, and so that sort of put them in a spot. And I, I think I said to you, like, oh, they're kind of zip-tied to a pole here. They've got really tough options. Yeah, there, there was really not um, not 
a clean way to to deal with this question of letting um, residents vote. And I think that there's um, one question that keeps that kept coming up at city council was asking Boise working together. Why did you guys choose the language that you did? Why did you choose vote for a vote? And that's kind of confusing. A lot of back and forth between David Klinger with Boise and Boise working together and the council. Yes. Like half an hour sort of back and forth, I think. And there was a lot of folks, you know, a lot of people on council just kind of trying to like, okay, can you explain your reasoning? And I know I've asked them similar questions. And what David Klinger and others with Boise working together keep circling back to is, we just wanted a vote, and I feel like they probably felt backed into a corner because of the legal questions surrounding this. So it seems to me that they adopted the vote for a vote, you know, ordinance, thinking, okay, this is how we get, we make sure the ballot initiative is constitutional, and then city will adopt it as an ordinance, and we'll move from there. And then once we we as a community got into the process, it was realizing, I think it was a lot more complex than we thought. Um, Another thing that I've written about um, is the structure of the Idaho constitution really limits what the city can do because Idaho is what's called a Dillon's Rule state, which means... This is great because I don't know anything about this, so I love this. We're off on new turf. I learned this in my (laughs) AP government class in high school, and it has been so useful in this job. So Idaho is what's called a, a Dillon's Rule state, which means that localities only have the authority to do exactly what the state legislature tells them to do. So um, unless the state code says... You have this authority. You, you have this specific authority. You you know you can't do anything. So if the so if the Idaho Constitution doesn't give cities authority, then they don't have the ability to do it. Um, so you know um, it's kind of almost like limiting their options by omission. So and this is a recurring theme on this podcast. This is the fifth episode that that we've that I've taped. Uh, the first one with Brad Lill, we mm-hmm. talked about this. The last episode with Marianne Jordan, we talked about this. And so I think that this is kind of the, the friction between city government, especially Boise city government particularly, I would say, mm-hmm. and state government. Because the state government keeps actually like kind of taking things away and saying, well, you actually now can't uh, regulate Uber and you can't mostly regulate Airbnb and that – makes the city a little crazy because they're like, well, what can we do? And that's the friction here, right? Right. And so with this question of like, you know, lawyers, I think in multiple uh, sides of this issue have been examining, you know, going through the Idaho code with a fine tooth comb, trying to find out, okay, do we even have the legal authority given the language that we have to put this question of the library to the voters? And honestly, I think we have more to come on this, whether it's going to be legal or not, especially in, I think in the memo with Elaine Clegg's uh, draft language, it it said um, something like questions still remain over the city's special election process. So this, we are far from out of the woods on this legal question. So let's talk to the, let's talk about the other uh, big agenda item this fall, the the actual seats that are open the elections. So yes. a scene set, you're, you're a little bit, uh, especially, you know, the city council races better than I have. I've, I'm not going to cover them until the filing deadline just for, for bandwidth reasons. So we'll talk about this, but so here's, here's the scene set. Uh, Boise has the mayoral seat, of course, is up for re-election. Cumbert Mayor Dave Beter running there. Um, we'll talk about challengers in a second. And then there's three city council seats that are up by statute. Um, 
One is the seat held by Elaine Clegg. She mm-hmm. told me that she's going to run again. Um, one is currently held by Lauren McLean. Mm-hmm. She is not going to run for that seat again because she's going to run for mayor. And the third one is held by Scott Ludwig. And he very early on said, I'm out. <laughs> right. So we're going to have two open seats and one seat with an incumbent uh, running plus the mayor. Um, this is your first city Boise city election, right? Yes. And it's the first one that I've covered really in a lot of detail. I used to cover it on a surface level at channel seven, but, um, uh, they're usually pretty sleepy affairs. Uh, in fact, I, I can think of old Boise guardian posts where Dave Frazier would be like, can we get somebody to run please? <laughs> and nobody would. In fact, Lauren McLean has never run against somebody. Wow. She was appointed. And then she ran uncontested both times. So it's not going to be sleepy this time, do you think? I definitely don't. And especially given some of the um, early interactions between uh, Lauren McLean and and uh, Mayor Beter, um, you know, nothing major, but you just get the impression that there, there's going to be, you know, some big issues debated here. Um, one thing that I thought was interesting was some reporting from Haley Harding over at the Idaho Statesman that um, when she sat down with Mayor Beter, he said he was disappointed um, to to hear that that um, Lauren McLean was going to run again, and and he made a run against him. A run yeah. against mm-hmm. him. Sorry, and um, he he made a, a reference to to that you know other you know lots of people on council want to become the mayor, and, and that he should have a, a food tester. Yeah. Um. And 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 obviously that was I think you know meant to be a, be a joke. Turned from, my head when I read it. Yeah, to be yeah. a joke from from Mayor Beater, but I I felt like that initial sit down that that interview. That he gave following the news um, showed that that it kind of surprised him, and and I think we're we're teeing up for something that that could be pretty contentious, more contentious than Boise has seen in a long time. Well, and, and, and Council President McLean, after that, she posted the story, mm-hmm. Haley's story, to her Facebook, her campaign Facebook, I think, and said something like. I'm just trying to do, you know, better for Boise. I, I promise I'm not trying to poison anybody, I think was her line. Right? Yes, and, and, and I think it was something like she had like a hashtag, like running for Boise, not poisoning or something, something, some sort of joke there. Yeah, so I think they were both kind of joking, but that's not what we're used to in, in municipal elections in Boise. Um, uh, so uh, let's talk about, um, so that we should mention for the mayoral seat, there are three other candidates, mm-hmm. uh, Matt Kilburn, um, Adriel Martinez, and then you just talked to another new candidate this week. Courtney Nielsen. Courtney Nielsen. The lights just went out in the studio. There, they're all back on. Um, so we're going to have five. Um, I can't speak to the the three, um, to, to the other three candidates, but I do know that uh, Mayor Beter is a Democrat. Yes. Um, it's a nonpartisan race, but he is identified as Democrat. He, when he was in the state legislature, he was a Democrat. Uh, Lauren McLean I, has identified herself as a Democrat. Yes. Um, I would say generally that, that uh, Ms. McLean's policies and view are to the left of the mayor. What's interesting is we don't have a, a mainstream Republican in the race yet. Do you think we'll see one? I heard rumblings of, of someone uh, that was going to run, and, and I called that individual, and I said, hey, are, are you going to run? And, and and they told me, well, I'm still kind of considering it and seeing if it's something, a race I could win. And um, 
you know, personally, I, I think that as we get more candidates on the left, especially if another um, someone else comes out of the woodwork for mayor on the left and, and further splinters that vote, um, especially a candidate that might be more well known than the other three, um, that could set up a, a strong um, a strong chance for a Republican to to take the top post in Boise, because if that vote on the left is split, that Republican could could take the vote. And um, one thing that that we've seen is we've seen a lot of people moving into Boise, but a lot of people are coming here, you know, from you know that are conservative that are coming from from Northern California and and other places. So I think Boise is not as solidly liberal um, as some people would like it to think. And I think if the the right the right candidate came out, this could be an opportunity. But we'll see if the right candidate, you know, or if if a candidate um, that is you know would be able to pull it off, you know, actually steps forward. So I'll pour in just a little bit of reporting here that I have not been able to use anywhere else. Um, So the ACHD Watchdogs Facebook group quite a while ago had posted, oh, we're hearing that Rebecca Arnold may run for mayor. Mm. Rebecca Arnold chairs the ACHD commission, um, is is ostensibly a Republican. I think those are nonpartisan seats too, but um, has been active in Republican politics in the past. Uh, I sent her an email and asked her, and I did not get a reply. So I don't know what you re- read of that, but that's that. Uh, the other person that I had just kind of heard uh, around is that um, Peter Oliver mm-hmm. was considering it. Uh, Peter Oliver is one of the principals at Thornton Oliver Keller, which is a real estate firm here in town. A disclosure, they're a Boise Dev sponsor. But um, I-, I reached out to him and he said, nope, I got a family and a business and it's and I, I want to make sure I can focus on those things. So those are two two pretty big names, I think, in Republican circles or or more conservative circles that said no. And so we'll see. I I think that's going to be interesting. Boise mayoral race has a runoff. Um, This fascinates me to no end. The city council seats do not. But the mayor's race, the winner has to get to 50% on the first ballot. If they don't, there'll be another another election in December between the top two vote getters. So that's a possibility here. Yes. Um, you know, if, if Mayor Beter or McLean or one of the other three can't get to 50 percent, we may be still talking about this uh, as we head towards Christmas. So that's kind of an interesting thing. Yeah. And, and we'll see. Um, as of right now, um, the three other candidates, uh, Matt Kilburn, Adriel Martinez and Courtney Nielsen, um, I, I have not really heard any rumblings from them. I haven't seen a whole lot of uh you know, momentum on social media. We'll see that could change, but um, they're, you know, the three of them are very, uh, very inexperienced candidates. And I think that, um, you know, Adriel they, has run before, I would say. Right. He, uh, four he years ran, ago, but not a lot of not a lot of fundraising activity and not a high number of votes. Right. So he has run for Boise. Or two years ago. He has run for Boise City Council before, um, you know, but I don't think he, he pulled a lot of votes. And so, you know, right now it's really just I'd say a, a two a two person race sure. between between Lauren McLean and, and Mayor Beater. But if one of those three or another person picks up momentum, you could see that, and we really we could be into a runoff. So, and even if it was very close between Miss McLean and, and Mr. Beater, and the other three candidates pulled just a few votes off, you could still go to a runoff. So it's a you know an interesting thing. Um, city council races, you've been covering this pretty closely. Uh, tell me what some of the trends and things are that you're seeing there. 
Um, so there, there's kind of two, um, two kind of camps of people that, that have emerged, I think. Um, the first camp are folks that, that seem to, to kind of want to keep the, the status quo and they seem to be relatively aligned with, with Mayor Beter and, and the, um, kind of the path we're on right now. Um, that's, uh, first of those candidates is Jimmy Halliburton. Um, I didn't have a super extensive conversation with him about, um, what he wants to see from policy because he said he's still kind of working out a lot of his positions and he's working with um, some other, uh, he's working with a stakeholder group to develop exactly what his platform is going to be. Lisa Sanchez told me that she helped recruit him, so she's obviously a new council person trying to bring some more people that share her views in. Right. Um, But he's also, you know, but so, but he, so he's been kind of mum about where he stands. Very well known, I would say, in the general community, at least relatively for a city council seat. Yes. One of the reporters I used to work with at the Idaho Press um, said that she covered the um, Goathead Festival last summer and saw someone carrying a sign that said Jimmy Halliburton for president. Um, <laughs> so he's very well known with his work at the Boise Bicycle Project. Um, the other candidate that seems to want to stay the course with how the city's going is um, newcomer um Brady Fuller, and he, uh, he, you know, I talked with him, and he just kind of said, "All right, I want to get on the council and kind of keep the direction we're going. I'm happy with what the city is doing." Um, and so, so there's that. And then we've got another kind of group um, that is is more frustrated with kind of the the direction the city's going, and has been more critical of Mayor Beater. To me, the most interesting of these people is Brittany Sigliano. Yeah, right. Eastern uh, East End Neighborhood Association president. She um, has. I didn't actually get to speak with her because I was on vacation whenever she filed her paperwork. But, um, you know, I'm going to talk with her soon. Was it East End or was it Central Rim? No, she's East, East End. End. Okay, okay. Courtney Nielsen, the, Courtney Nielsen, the new, the new okay. mayoral yep. candidate yep. that just announced is Central Rim. But Brittany Sigliano is well known at Boise City Council. She's there a lot. Yeah. She's there a lot. Um, and she has stood in opposition of a lot of big city projects, including um, the uh, proposed mountain bike skills park yeah. over in the military reserve and that sounds like such a small potatoes issue but it was another one of those issues flashpoints, flashpoints where people were very frustrated with the with the process and she was very critical of the city's process for that and she you know she testified um, during that she also testified she's been a big part of the St. Luke's expansion issue that has been um, been a um, a controversial topic over at City Hall. Plus, um, she also wanted to have the East End put into a conservation district right. a few months back, maybe at the end of 2018. I don't exactly remember. And the idea got pretty much shut down over by City Council and, and Mayor Beater. Well, it's interesting because we... Um in the last few years, we were talking about this off the air at Boise State Radio today. There was this CVS project uh, proposed uh, at 17th and State, roughly, and and that was a flashpoint. You've had so you have, I just made a quick list here. You've had St. Luke's Health System and their expansion in the East End. You had the Bike Skills Park, and a lot of people frustrated about that. You had the CVS project. You have the stadium and the library. So five pretty big projects that have garnered significant attention and some opposition. What's interesting to me is these civic elections if you look at historical voting patterns the people who vote they live in the north end and they live in the east end and you look at that list of projects 
they're all in the north and east ends. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to be interesting to me. The mayor lives in the east end. Laura McLean lives in the north end. Um, uh, Elaine Clegg lives in the north end. Scott Ludwig lives on Warm Springs. Uh, they all, other than TJ Thompson, generally live in the north and east ends. Holly Woodings is north end. Um, and those are where people are most upset. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the voters and what they think of what happened and, and what's going to happen next. I would say that that I think people are upset citywide. Yeah. That I've talked to, I know people on the Boise bench are getting increasingly frustrated with feeling gentrification yeah. and feeling that stress. But I don't. But that area doesn't have as historically as much turnout as the North and East End. Right. So I think that we should really try and center. You know, I want to try and center that conversation on. Okay, where are the the voters in the north and east end they're the people that are that are getting frustrated and that are turning out for these meetings but i don't think that the i don't want to make maybe unrest isn't the right word but restlessness in the city is not just limited to those two neighborhoods well I, two things that are key here there was an urban renewal forum about uh, a potential ccdc district on the bench called the south junior high you and i were both there mm-hmm there was a lot of people there, more than an average city council meeting. And they were mad. And there was a lot of frustration. I think the South Junior High Auditorium seats like 800, and I would guess that it was about half full. Um, so three, 400 people showed up to talk about urban renewal, and that is different. Um and then the Northwest Boise folks are engaged. These people were more recently annexed. They're frustrated about infill development. They're frustrated about fire coverage. Uh, the mayor had made a comment saying, you know, I don't see this as rural anymore. Rural to me is Middleton, I think, was the gist of the comment. I think that made people a little angsty there. Mm-hmm. It, it's different. It's very much changed in the last two years. And it'll be really fascinating to see you know, are we going to see a sea change? Um, and I don't know, this is, we don't know. We're just trying to cover this, but I do think that there's some potential and we haven't seen that in a while. And, and we talked about this earlier today too. Um, the Boise state school of public policy or one of the centers over at Boise state yeah. did a, the treasure Valley survey. And, um, this has gotten some attention recently. One of the questions in there was, what do you think of the job city government is doing now? It's important to note that the survey was across the valley. It yes. included Canyon County, I think Jam, Hawaii, Malheur. Boy, no, it didn't include Malheur. I'm sorry, I meant Elmore. Nope. Nope. Okay. It, it was. You it, wrote this more recently than I, I did. did so okay. You got it, more it, was, it was. It was Boise. It was Ada County, Canyon County, Oahe, Jam, and Boise. Okay, so a little bit wider swath, but uh, when they asked, "Are you satisfied with the job your local government is doing?" 71% said either fair or poor. That's not a good number if you're an incumbent in one of these cities. Well, one other thing that, that I didn't get to point out on Idaho Matters is another follow-up question in that was, do you think the government has, your local government has enough money to respond to growth? And, you know, no, there was a high so level, no. there was a high level of people saying, well, I don't know, which is fair because, right. you know, not everyone, follow it. not everyone like us spends 11 hours in Boise City budget hearings, um, but... Uh, we do it so you don't have to. Exactly. That's essentially the answer. But... Um, Subscribe to the Auto Press and Boise Dev, please. Yes. Um, <laughs> but those folks... But there was a high number in that question that said no. Yeah. You know, no. So it, so that is the question of like, okay, do people think there's mismanagement or do people think that 
there's not enough money to respond to the problems. And my guess is that it's probably a combination of both. Yeah, it's it's going to be not not to say that I not to say that's a clarification, not to say that I think it's there's mismanagement or not enough money. That's not my opinion. But I think voters are dealing with this perception of, okay, well, maybe maybe the government isn't doing what I want them to do with the money they have, but they probably also don't have enough money to do it. That seems to be the, the overwhelming, a growing opinion in the Valley. Well, and I would even say uh, George Prentice, who hosted Idaho Matters, said something to the effect today of, you know, the city of Boise found an extra $30 million in its budgets. That seems like a lot. And I tried to point out, well, the, the budget just for this year is, is three quarters of a billion dollars. So yes, it's a big number, but not it's not a huge percentage. And maybe it's people are hearing things like $85 million library, $11 million architect, a stadium project with some public funds in it. And they're like, well, are these the right priorities? I, I, you know, it's hard to say. We'll know at the ballot box. Yeah. And one one thing that is super interesting to me about covering budgets, um, which I, I actually really enjoy, is uh, budgets are where you find out where a com- where a city council and city government's priorities lie. One of the favorite quotes that I encountered earlier this year was a quote from the mayor of Minneapolis, and he said, "A budget is a moral document," and and that is really where the city is determining their priorities. And I think that um, as as the city is grappling with the growing um, you know, kind of questions about what are we doing? Where are we going? More and more of that fight, I think, is going to play out in budgets. So let's talk about that. We'll wrap up here in a minute. But so for, for Boise, for uh, they put together this nice chart, and they've done it for several years about where one of your tax dollars goes. Mm-hmm. So for every dollar you put in, uh, 31.9 cents goes to police, 24.5 cents goes to fire, 13 cents goes to parks, 6.5 cents to the library, uh, 5.5 cents goes to contractual services, which includes uh, Valley Ride, Animal Control, Courts, and the like. And then on down the list, IT, Public Works, Finance, Legal, etc., etc., etc. So when you look at it, 32 cents to police and uh, about a quarter to fire, that's the lion's share of the money that comes in, goes out the door to public safety. Right, and and they just added. Um, they've been adding new police officer positions in, in recent years. I think it was, gosh, maybe five or six last year, and then they added another another six this year, I believe. And that brings us to something I didn't think we'd know if we'd get to get in, but uh, it's especially fascinating to me to see former Boise Mayor Brent Coles show up and testify. It's yes, Paul. we've seen him twice now. It's seen him twice, um, and his point, I think, was. Um, Essentially, what are we doing? This is a big library project, and we don't have the police services we used to, and we don't have the fire services we used to, kind of back in his day. I think that was the, the gist of his point. Um, I think it's always important to mention for people who are newer to the Valley, Brent Coles uh, resigned from office and later served time in prison, I'm sorry, in jail for... Um, a number of things, including uh, misuse of public funds and some other things. So um, he didn't leave office on really the best terms and some travel issues and such. But it is interesting to see somebody wade back into the public dialogue. He he walked out of office in 2003, mm-hmm. and here we are in 2019, and he's decided that he's going to use his voice a little bit. 
which is interesting. The other time that we saw him was um, back in uh, like May. A, a, in May at the hearing on the prominent subdivision, which is a very controversial subdivision proposed in Northwest Boise. And I asked him about it, and I asked him then. I said, "Hey, are we gonna are we gonna see you come out more? Like, what brought you out for this specific topic?" And he told me, "I live in the neighborhood." These are, this is my neighborhood. I was worried about it. And so um, I was kind of surprised to see him um, again testify against the library, uh, you know, on the library project. And I think the, that shows this project has become a piece of conversation and it's 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 bigger than I think the city officials expected it to be. I think it's bigger than anyone expected it to be. Well, and it's interesting because it's really become nexus with the stadium. And uh, city officials have repeatedly pointed out to me, and I'm sure to you as well, there Mm -hmm. is no stadium proposal. We also know through public records request denials, essentially, that there have been some discussions between the city and the developer of the ballpark on where they go forward. They bought a little piece of land. We kind of know where it's going to go, and it's been very quiet for a bit here. And I, we, I asked you about the library. I think I kind of sense we won't see any movement on the stadium until after the election. Either is that your vibe? That that as kind of the thought that I had as well. Um, you know, the, I think the the big thing that happened with the stadium recently is Boise State um, initially kind of waded back in and said, you know, we'd be open to to doing a joint stadium for our upcoming baseball uh, team, and then they just pulled out. And I think a big reason they pulled out right after the ballot initiatives qualified, yeah. and I think it was because Boise State, you know, they want to have people playing baseball on their campus in twenty was it twenty twenty? I think so. Yeah. And so and they're like, and they're going to start a Memorial Stadium in Garden City, I believe. Yeah. And so they're like, we can't wait yeah. for this. We need, we can't have this uncertain project kind of hovering around. Like, we've got to make a choice. And they're moving forward. I mean, that project is going to probably move here pretty quick. And it, it, it leads a lot of people to go, well, boy, do we really need two stadiums? And the Boise State Ballpark is not a large, going to be a large facility. I don't think it would accommodate soccer, which is something that I know a lot of people want to see. But two new ballparks, not to mention Donna Larson Park for softball um, and the football, the mini football stadium there, that's a lot of new places to play. So it'll be interesting to see how this all comes together. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people that are just, we're all just kind of waiting to see what developer Chris Shane does. He's the he's the mystery um, in all of this. And um, I think that... At this point, it's important. I think we need to start thinking about the main library and the sports park as different projects that are moving on very different timelines. Yeah, for sure. Okay, Margaret Carmel, we like to keep this to about thirty minutes, and we're at forty-eight. That I think shows how uh, interesting the discussion was here. Oops. No, it's great. Um, I really appreciate the time, and um, we'll we'll see you most Tuesdays. Not this next Tuesday, though. I'm very excited we get a week off. Yay! Thank you for having me.